Yo, welcome back, guys, for another episode with me and my buddy Ronnie. We survived the streets of Joburg on Saturday night. Pretty the box couldn't do the same, hey, Ronald? They only had to survive the All Blacks. I mean, I would have taken the All Blacks over that walk we did to the car train station. Yeah, 100%. So, dear old Ronnie and I, as well as some mates, we decided this time around we wouldn't do the park and ride like we normally do from Menland to Ellis Park. Instead, we thought the car train might be a bit of a better option. So car train from Hatfield to Park Station, pretty smooth ride down there, quick and easy to the stadium. We were in at about half past one at the beer tent already, thought we were having a nice warm up. But what a nightmare when we left that stadium, hey, Ronald? What a nightmare. I mean, we've been to a fair amount of stadiums now, right? I mean, we've been to one or two or ten. Five. And, uh, <laughs> all five this year. We're all five this year so far, but uh, look, we... I think we can account for, we can rate our stadiums, right? We've been to a lot of them. And Ellis Park, you know, the vibe's always, it's lacquer. It's, it's, it's a fortress of ours. We always enjoy going there. And it's just 62,000 people all trying to get on buses in this, this lane. And then they shut this one down and the car train. And there's just 62,000 people all wanting to leave at the same time. It's chaotic, really. And uh, we got caught in a big traffic jam of people, a people jam, and uh, we didn't move for a long time. Yeah, I think just just to give some background to that. So the car train, as everyone knows, it runs consistently at its scheduled times, dropping people off progressively throughout the afternoon. But what I think they forgot to account for is that when the game ends, everyone is going back to the car train station. So bring a couple of hundred people every, say, 15 minutes to the stadium Versus 10,000 of us trying to get on the train at the end of it was a nightmare. Those guys had what, let's let's give them six buses. So they had six buses running on rotation. And then they say, no, the train's closing at half past eight. It's about 20 to eight. And we make the decision now, well, okay, we're walking through Joburg CBD in the middle of the night to go and try and get on the car train back to Pretoria. What a walk that was. Yeah, no, that was a that was an eye-opening experience for me for sure. Look, there were lots of cops around everywhere, but it's it's not an area that late night uh, you actually really want to be walking around in uh, after drinking a couple of beers for sure. So I think what we did was right was sort of stick together as a group. Um, there were lots of people there. Everyone walked together, uh, be safe, and and that's really the most important thing. But yeah, look, Ellis Park or Emirates Airlines Park, they really need to make a plan. With, with transport in and around there because, you know, it's not just a case. You could take your own car, you could get a nice parking maybe somewhere, but then you're just sitting in this in this massive amount of traffic. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. It's just, it's terribly, terribly organized. And I think you said it, you know, we've been to five out of five home games this year so far. We've actually been to every single stadium in South Africa now, including uh, Orlando, like all the main stadiums. And for me, Ellis Park's logistics are by a country mile the worst. There's no organization. It's free for all there. And it's a complete, complete spoiler after a fixture like that. So I don't know. For me, maybe Ellis Park gets a three out of 10 rating. Uh, I think you're being generous there. You're giving them three for for some of the great games that we've watched there over the years. For sure. But uh, this one in particular, look, it was a little bit sour that we lost to the All Blacks. So we we're all a little bit down anyways. And it was a long day um, and we were looking forward to get home uh, or at least get all the way back to Pretoria. 
and um, look, it's just it's just chaotic. People walking in every direction, and the queues. There's no queues. It was just a big crowd of people. You know, we were standing in that crowd trying to get into the Caltrain bus, and, and people were chanting "shove" and "scrap" every time the Caltrain bus stopped because people were trying to push their way into the in, into and onto the bus. Which you know, when they drove past, you could see was completely packed. So look, they need to come up with a better plan. They need more buses or or something along those lines because what happened there on Saturday after the game. It's it's not like it. You shouldn't take three hours to 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 go like you know fifty kilometers. No, I hundred percent agree with you. But I don't think that extra buses would even help the situation. I think it is so plain as day how they haven't realized this yet. Encourage people to take the buses by making the buses have a priority lane. If it's quick and it flows, more people will take the bus rather than sitting in traffic in their cars. Simple. But yeah, other than that, it was a bit of a lack of time at the beer tent. Saw some boys eating onions there, uh, getting the tears ready for, for the <laughs> national anthem. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why anyone would eat an onion, but, uh, you know, each to their own. I would have, uh, I think you may have mentioned it on one of the posts on, on social media, you would prefer a bit of biltong. But, yeah, uh, I definitely prefer um, some biltong. Yeah. <laughs> so, some guys like to eat onions. So I suppose that's what they do. But yeah, some good vibes there. We actually got a spot in the shade because we got there nice and early, got the beers in, and then we had pretty good seats in the stadium. I mean, we had a lack of view. We were in the northern stand. You guys can check out our social media pages for the, the view we got. Got the plane coming over the stadium, which was also pretty lacquer. But something I have to mention, and this is the second time in a row at Ellis Park that we've come across someone like this again. A guy sitting in front, sort of to my right, Needs Are you to... using your opportunity now to, to, to berate that gentleman that's sat in front of you now? No, 100%. The guy on my right-hand side opens his beer. And you know when you open a beer, it goes and like one tiny little droplet sprays out of it, lands on this guy's back. And he turns around and he gets so aggressive about it. Yeah, you shouldn't be at the rugby if you don't know how to drink. I'm sorry. There was nothing on him or barely anything on him. And there's no reason to be in a stand like that. And to get so upset about something like that. Yeah, I think it's a lot of people, uh, a lot of people think they're going to the stadium to get the best view of the game. If you want the best view of the game, you sit at home on your couch and you watch it on TV. If you're going to the stadium, you're going there for the atmosphere. People are going to have a, a couple of beers. Uh, people are going to scream and shout and somebody's going to say the odd swear word, you know, and, and, and that's really what it is. So this is a little bit about the atmosphere, right? You want to enjoy, you want to have a, you want to scream a little bit, you want to lose your voice a little bit and you know, come on. I mean, those seats are small. So so if there's a droplet of beer that's going to land on you when somebody cracks one behind you, Deal with just it. use your brain. Or bring a raincoat next time. And then the last thing I just have to mention about this, this stands there. So the stand to the right of us had a guy, an all black supporter who kept waving his flag and whatnot. And some guys in that crowd decided to throw some beers at him. Obviously not a good idea. I don't agree with it, but they pelted him with a couple. And then one guy threw a beer that went a little bit skew and hit one of the Bach fans that was sitting there. That guy yeah, stood up. He was not happy. He, not only was he not happy, he was a unit. And that is not someone you want to hit with a beer and have coming chasing you up in your stand. So, guys, don't throw beers. It's not on. The All Black supporters are welcome there as long as they're from New Zealand. This nonsense of being South African and supporting the All Blacks, I did not agree with it. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to say, we, I was keeping an eye on that situation there and I saw a lot of the security guards come up as well. But, you know, it's such a massive crowd behind them and uh, it was really difficult to pinpoint who actually threw the cup. And it wasn't a full beer. 
Like, let's just clarify, it was an empty cup, but still, that's not on. That's not cool. Don't be an asshole. It's not cool at all. But yeah, I think, Ronnie, let's dive into the test. A bit of a disappointing one. All Blacks beating the box 35-23. I think from my side, I was a bit disappointed with the selections to start with. And I think it transpired on the field. It was a bit of a, a lack of physicality from the box across the board, which surprised me a little bit, especially after how physically dominant we were the week before. Look, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I, whilst I agree it wasn't our best performance yet, but I do almost think that it was a test match where the All Blacks decided to rock up. You know, they they actually counted a lot of what we did. They nullified our physicality by their forwards also stepping up to the plate and dominating the racks. And, you know, that's what we saw. So uh, I don't think it was just a case of us slipping up. I think it was a case of, you know, the All Blacks stepping up. Uh, and, and that's what I saw. Yeah, I think it was a it was a mixed bag there. Um, maybe we should actually just start with these box substitutions because this is something I take quite an exception to. Substituting your hooker in the 29th minute. Now, I know what you're going to say, Ronnie, the bench and the starting team and this, that and the other. But a 29-minute substitution is ridiculous. Well, you know what I'm going to say. I think that our strategy has evolved over the years as spring box. You know, it's no longer a game of 15 with, with eight on the bench. It's now a, a, a game of 23, right? So you use your bench accordingly. And I do think that uh, Rassi and uh, Jacques and them have seen, well, why why not capitalize on the opposition's team uh, when they're a little bit tired and bring on your big units off the bench? Um, you know, when they're playing their big units from the get-go. It didn't, it didn't quite work out this time. I think I want to talk about the 6-2 split. I see that's going to come up a little bit later. We'll talk about that. But yeah, look, if 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 we didn't bring on uh, if we didn't bring on uh, Malcolm Mark so early, you know, we could have easily sat and said, "Oh, Joseph Dweber wasn't performing. Why not use your bench? You know, you have a sub. Why not use him? You know, that that could be the that an argument that people make. Yeah, twenty nine minutes is a little bit uh, new to me, and it's also I asked on Reddit uh, this past couple of uh, over the last couple of days. I asked some people what what they thought about subbing you know, your front rows in the first half, any of your front rows, because we do tend to do that. We do tend to bring our props on with a minute or two left in the first half. And why, why is that? And, and I was like, one gentleman actually explained to me, well, look, it's, it's to get the rust out. It's to, it's to get those one or two penalties that a newcomer off the bench w- would usually give away, get that out of the way. And when they come on in the second half, they come back firing. So yeah, look, uh, there's a lot of strategies. We're just two guys that like to talk rugby on a podcast what do we actually know yeah i don't know for me it looked ridiculous at halftime when the all blacks and box subs came out to warm up and we had four oaks on the field and the all blacks had a full bench to me this showed us up because come the 70th minute when we'd pulled ahead now and we should be closing out a game our subs were no longer fresh you know the bomb squad completely imploded there because we'd had them on since the 30th minute i mean Dwayne and ox were on in the 34 or Dwayne and ox were off sorry in the 34th minute. To me, it's just a silly decision. I think Dweber, the occasion got to him. I think playing the All Blacks, starting against the All Blacks is massive. I mean, we all saw how he stared down the hucker and everything. But someone like that needs guidance. And I think the coaches did him no justice. Malcolm Mark should have started that test. Malcolm Mark should have softened up the opponents. And then you bring Dweber on for the last 20 minutes when the game is a bit more settled. You don't let someone get charged up facing the haka, have 65,000 fans around them, and then 
not back them to at least get to half time. And so I think that I have something to say confidence. about Yeah, I have something to say about Joseph Dweb over it, but we'll leave that for my two cent segment at the end. But shall we just talk about Dwayne? I know no. you weren't happy about Dwayne. Let's focus on Dwayne right now. Dwayne has been has come back from injury from a prolonged uh, stay away as a result of, of, of injury. Should he have started? No. I actually wrote an article today about how this week's test team was two weeks too early. It was two weeks too early. Right, so we should have we should have phased them in uh, better. I, I okay, I hear what you're saying. Look, and I just want to go back to to Dwayne, right? So Dwayne should have come off the bench. They should have given him 30 minutes, perhaps, and then next week maybe uh, you know 35 minutes or 40 minutes off the bench, and then in the in the game after that he could have taken a, a, a starting role. But we did the same with with Peter Steftatoy. He was injured for a long time, and we put him right in there. We got lucky with him not getting injured and performing like an absolute beast in the games that he did come back. But we shouldn't make a habit of bringing guys back after being injured for so long. They should start off the bench or get midweek games, practice games. Uh, the Sharks do it a lot with, with their club rugby. They brought Bismarck back in the days. He used to go play for Rovers before he was allowed back at the Sharks. And that's just to slowly introduce them back to, you know, first-class rugby. So why or why are we introducing these guys that go from being injured for so long to... Boom, starting against starting. a team like the All Blacks. I just have to call you out there because Peter Steftatoy, yes, he's had a lot of injuries and I know you're always concerned about him. But this year, he'd actually only been coming off a two-week injury when he started. He'd played a full season in Japan. Yes, it might not be of the same intensity, but he actually had good mileage under his legs. Dwayne hasn't played since since May. Neither has Joseph Dweber. You know, so I think there's a little bit of a differentiation there in terms of match fitness. Yeah, but you're looking at it from a case-by-case basis, right? So I, I believe that we should be putting rules in place, policies in place in our team so that everybody's on the same page. When you are injured, you come in, you get slowly phased into a starting berth. And, yeah. and that should be the rule. Actually, being phased, I don't agree with that, being phased into a starting berth. I think at international level, you should earn a starting berth. You should earn it uh, by all means. Sure, earn yeah. it, Right whatever way you want to phrase it sure phasing is probably the wrong word but yeah you should earn your role you can't just get you can't just go from uh, i'm going to say sitting on the couch although we know that Dwayne would not have been sitting on the couch for for some time now but he can't go directly into a starting role i i, I disagree with that yeah. and i disagree with any player it doesn't matter how good you are when you are injured and you need to come back in you don't just get thrown into the deep end you need to slowly be be be. You need you need to prove yourself off the bench, off the bench, off, the, and then boom into that starting role. And I'm going to say something here, which I've seen a lot on our page this week, but something I feel very strongly about, and it's the first time I felt this with Jacques and Rassi and and all of them there. I feel like they disrespected the Springbok fans on Saturday. I feel like they underestimated the occasion. It was a huge game at a huge opportunity for us to beat the All Blacks back-to-back for the first time since 2009, and they did not rise to the occasion as coaches. I think they let some players down, and they definitely let the fans down. Yeah, I'm going to definitely hammer on this point uh, in my in my two-cent segment. And then the two yellow cards we saw in the match, Damien Willemser getting one early for not rolling away. Thought that one was a little bit harsh. You know, he made sure. the tackle... We were under pressure and there was heavy momentum in favor of the All Blacks. So I guess it is it is a yellow card, but yeah, that was one that was... Sort it's of not a yellow card. 
is it not a penalizable offense? I mean, it's, you know, you're five minutes into the game. Do you immediately go for the yellow card or do you let things settle down a bit? Yeah, it's a questionable a one. It's a questionable one. And the funny thing is the Bowden-Barrett one was actually also somewhat similar. But they said to Bowden, you know, it's not a penalty try. Jaden Hendricks was almost through. He chipped that ball ahead and Bowden hit him. It should, There were some funny calls there. Had, had Bowden-Barrett made that offended five meters closer to the try line, it would have been a penalty try. But because of the position on the field, there was not enough evidence to suggest that, look, this would have been a try. But I, I suppose nine times out of 10 in a situation like that, Hendricks uh, or whoever was was following up there could have scored that try. And, and I'm not I'm saying could, but in actual fact, nine times out of 10, they will have scored that try. And like you- if you look, if you look back at the replay, he was going to score. Let's be serious. And like you said there, you know, based on the field position, had he been five meters closer, would have been a penalty try. The same thing can be said about Willemse. We had a lot of defenders around there. You know, was it really a try interfering play that he did that deserved a yellow card? A little bit of question marks about Luke Pierce's performance this weekend, but we are not going to, to bash the referee in this one. We're going to take this loss on the chin, I think. No, I actually think that there have been referee performances that have been way worse throughout the year. And, and in actual fact, you can't fault Luke Pierce. I think overall he had a good game as a referee. Yeah, no, he did. He did fairly all right. And then I just need to mention Eben Etzebeth. There can be no doubt that he is the giant of the lock department. Because did you see his tackle on Adi Sevier? Adi was right over the line and Etzebeth picked him up like a child picking up their little teddy bear on the bottom of the cot and threw him back over the line. Mario Etoje doesn't do things like that. So I actually looked at the agenda here and I saw that you mentioned Etoje in brackets and I was like, well, where does, where, how does Etoje rope into this? Have you been uh, drinking a little bit too much? But uh, yeah, look, even Etzebeth, what a unit. There's no doubt in my mind that he should be starting all the time. Yeah, but Etzebeth is a crucial member of that Bok pack, hey? Talking of the pack, let's hear what you have to say about the 6-2 split, Ronald. Well, I've been very vocal about how I feel about the 6-2 split. We're going to get caught out one day and uh, we're all going to say, oh, well, you know, 6-2 split, you know, what were we thinking? I think the 6-2 split should be an exception and not the norm. Uh, I like, I like that we are physical. I like that we can do some things and bring on a full front row and still have more, you know, so pack so much heat on the bench. But in all honesty, uh, Jesse Creel going down so early in the game and, and we're, we're quite expensive on our right wings at the moment. It, it, it just there's a there's a certain element of risk that comes with with the backline player going down and we have a 6-2 split right yeah we've got some utility backs in the form of philly who can seems like he can play anywhere and damien Philipsa can play anywhere and you know we've got all of this but it's it's dangerous man it, it really is dangerous because you shouldn't have to put um on the wing really yeah, well you mentioned that last week we do have quacker smith there too but yeah i think yes <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just way, way too risky. Like you said, Jesse Creel took that knock early. And now, Jesse Creel, that was a hard knock. Creel went low. And I mean, instantly you could see he was concussed. He, he fell into the ruck next door. Yeah, he was stumbling. But straight from that, Peter Steph to his intercept. What a run, eh? <laughs> <laughs> what a run. If only he had a little bit more in him to, to just pick up his knees a little bit, run a little bit faster, but yeah, you're going to get chased down by the likes of Bowden and those backline players and all blacks, but it's always nice to see a, a forward. It's always nice to see a prop or a lock, especially, you know, run 50, 60 meters down the field. 
but what credit credit to Bowden for that tackle. That was unreal. It was really yeah, Bowden's so quick, he could probably have missed the first tackle and tackled him again, again. before he got to the trial. No, that's true. But yeah, 60 splits just a bit too risky. I'd like to see us change back to the 5-3 for the Australians. You know, we'll have to see what the coaches go for there because 6-2 has been our default now for all three Wales tests as well as the, the two tests we played against the All Blacks. And then, dear Ronald, I had great joy this weekend hosting a poll on our Instagram feed as to who the better fly half was, Richie Moonga versus Bowden Barrett. I hate to tell you that 82% of our followers agreed with me that it's yeah. Bowden. No. All right. I hear what everybody's saying. Bowden Barrett is an exceptional player. But at some point, people need to start thinking, okay, is it about having a team of exceptional players or is it about having a team that has extreme, an excessive amount or extreme amount of, of chemistry? Bone Barrett is a great rugby player. Don't get me wrong. He's one of the best rugby players in the, in the world and over the last decade, honestly. <laughs> He's fantastic. But is he a fly half? Is he an actual fly half? Is he somebody that can get into the, into the back line there and marshal the back line like a fly half should? You know, you see Polly... Or Pollard, you know, pointing and giving directions, telling people to move this way, telling people to move that way. But does can Bowden really do that? Should Bowden not be brought on as a bomb himself from the bomb squad, the all-black bomb squad? You know, rip through uh, an, an exhausted opposition uh, in the second half because he he could do a lot better. I just think that Bowden is almost too good for those around him. That's just unfortunately the case. The so All Blacks don't have great centers. So is Bowden supposed to be that fly I don't know. And it's interesting enough, I'll get the stats, I'll put it up next week then in, in next week's podcast, but the All Blacks have a higher win ratio when Bowden comes off the bench. Yeah, Ronnie, you know, it must be hard to be you and to be wrong so frequently, but I'm sure you're used to it by now. Bowden is definitely the best fly half and should hundred percent be there uh richie better off the bench in my mind regardless of what your statistics say you're one of those people that are like oh no mathematics is 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 you know a pseudoscience it's not real stats don't lie <laughs> the all blacks have a higher win ratio when Bowden comes off the bench yeah we could argue that look when he was starting he was coming off the bench because they had dan carter on the field but stats don't lie. You know, honestly, you you, you put a, a player that's more comfortable at fly-off, he marshals a, a back line a lot better, you know, you're going to see improved results. Yeah, well, Ronnie, 82% of the time, I'm right all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. you know, whilst the box failed to put the All Blacks away whilst they were down, the Pumas did not have those same troubles facing the Wallabies this weekend, eh? 48-17 victory for them there. Biggest winning margin since 1979 when they played their first test. 31 points. Is that the biggest win margin between the Pumas and the Wallabies? Yes, it is. I mean, it's unbelievable, really. So uh, when we eventually got back home and were able to put on the TV and watch the, the Pumas, the Los Pumas v. Wallabies game... You know, we sat there for 10 minutes before we actually realized what the score actually was. And I distinctly remember you going, what? Are the Pumas beating the Wallabies? Is that what's happening here? Because that was that was an exceptionally dominant performance from the Pumas. And well done to them. Yeah, well, both performances from the Pumas and the All Blacks this weekend made you and me look terrible on Super Brew with our picks. But I actually, I, I have the, the post-match press conference from Dave Rennie here. And I just want to read you a little bit of it and compare this 
to Foster losing last week and us losing this week. For me, Dave Rennie is a blatantly honest coach, and I really appreciate that about him. So he says here, we lacked cohesion, didn't we, with a few changes? We'll look at the footage, but we're better than that. It's a massive disappointment. We want to earn the respect of the country, and you don't do it with performances like that. That's an honest assessment of what went on on the field. And that's a coach with a, a massive injury list. And he still fronts up and he says it as it is. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with any of that. It's always nice to see a little bit of a refreshing take and some honesty. It's too often our coaches make excuses and, you know, you think back to, you know, you, know, you, you want to mention what Foster said last week. And if you can go back to what Alistair Kutsia said that time when we lost to the All Blacks by an, a record margin. Yeah, no, there were some positives to take from it. There were no positives to take from there. There were no positives to take out of these okay. games where you lose like that. And and that's the reality. And it's nice to see old, uh, old Dave Rennie say, say something like that. You know, the Pumas dominated the aerial game in that fixture. They were picking off high ball after high ball and running circles around Australia, which is interesting, and especially with us going to face him, considering we're heavily reliant on the aerial game. So that's something the Aussies are going to need to work on. But more than that, the thing that blew my mind the most was James O'Connor at 10. Only received four passes in first phase. That's unbelievable. <laughs> that's what I used to get playing right. touch rugby when no one wanted to give me the ball. <laughs> you still got four passes. Whoever was playing with you just felt sorry for you. That's the reality. But yeah, well, yeah, look, you know, your, your, te- your tension received just four passes a game. I mean, that's a little bit... It's quite shocking, really. I actually didn't believe that when I saw this on the agenda. I thought, ah, Nick's been, Nick's once again been drinking at work, and you know, but uh, that's that's shocking, right? But the the problem with that, so the Wallabies pattern that they kept running here, and obviously we know Quade Cooper's injured, but the pattern that they kept running was Rob Valentini and Len Ikitao constantly taking it up in the ten channel, but. That's not the only problem that comes from something like this. When your 10 is not involved in the game or is only receiving four passes, you put so much pressure on your nine as the decision maker. And in that area of play, it is very difficult to make the right decisions. And we saw how much Tate McDermott and Nick White struggled under those circumstances, having to dictate play with the boot, but also having to run the the attacking line of the Aussies. James O'Connor really needed a better role, needed to be more involved and needed to be taking the ball up to the line and spreading it a little bit better. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, if you have a captain that can change the strategy on the fly and, and you know, call a, a hot route or something like that and say, well, look, the, the Aussies aren't passing to their 10, yeah, it frees up a defender, a defender or two, actually, that could shift wide and cut you out in the wider channels. So, you know, maybe if, 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 Maybe Rassi, hopefully Rassi. We keep saying Rassi, though, but hopefully Jacques is actually reviewing the tapes and saying, well, look, this is how we're going to counter them. Maybe it, you know, maybe it was just a once-off game where the Pumas just absolutely dominated the Wallabies and, and the Wallabies just felt that they couldn't pass to 10. They needed to swing it wider or keep it close uh, uh, in amongst their forwards. But, yeah, I agree with you. Once You you need to utilize your 10 a lot more, keep the, keep the opposition on their toes a little bit more. You, you, someone like James O'Connor... Who can also? He's he is a very dynamic player. He can do a little bit of a switch or a flick or a chicken wing pass here and there, and um, you know keep the defense guessing. But if you're not passing to him, uh, defense doesn't need to guess. They know exactly what's going to happen. 
No, that's exactly right. And I think they lack, you know, they're missing a little bit of the Michael Hooper leadership that the team's become so reliant on over the years. You know, thoughts are with Hooper. He's going through a bit of a tough time at the moment. But yeah, other leaders in that Wallabies team 100% need to stand up in situations like that. And interesting enough now, I've seen Dave Rennie's requested Bernard Foley and Kirtley Beal to return to the Aussie setup. Bernard Foley, for sure. One of my go-to players when I used to play fantasy rugby. Scored me a lot of points over the years when I used to beat you in fantasy rugby. But sure, that's that'll, that's exciting for them. When you used to beat me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we used to play. I just got to clarify. That, but it doesn't matter what I say. You're just going to cut it out in the editing anyways. you got to choose your words carefully, Ronnie. And then I think a special mention here, myself as a front rower needs to recognize the talent of Thomas Gallo. Man of the match performance, two tries as a prop. You know, that, that, that impressed me. Well done, Thomas. That was a very good performance from you. And yeah, full credit to Los Pumas. They really did the job that they needed to there. It's nice to see that. I really hope that they can uh, possibly get a win over, over the All Blacks, so considering they're not playing the Wallabies again. We're gonna, we hope that they don't beat us. But let's hope that they can pull one over the All Blacks again. Yeah, no, let's hope so. Hey, fingers crossed there. And then talking about things that you lose to me and Ronald, how about Superbrew, hey? So no, I noticed in the agenda you stole this away from me. So I hope you do this justice by uh, giving us an entertaining rundown of the Superbrew log. Well, I am Sean. Yes, you are. You climbed 145 places on the log to make it to top spot. Four and a half points. I am Sean from South Africa. Very, very well done. That was very impressive from you. And then in second place, we have Joe. Joe Henning from New Zealand. Uh, well, actually, he's from South Africa, but he supports New Zealand. Joe, please go listen to the podcast about 10 minutes earlier when we spoke about that. Well done. You're in second place on also 4.5 points. And then in third place, dropping one position from last week is Jaden Blom, known as Top Notch Rugby. So very well done, Jaden. You're also there. I am Sean Inns place to win a rugby ball light for this season. So if you can keep that up and maintain your spot there, that rugby ball light will be yours. Yeah, we will be starting new pools for the URC and everything. But for now, if you still want to sign up, Flupour, F-L-U-E-P-O-U-R is our pool name. And you can come and join me in beating Ronnie and Superbrew. I've nothing to say. <laughs> I didn't expect you to, Ronald. When you're terrible at Superbrew, you can't really say much, eh? Oh, you, of course you were expecting it. You just paused after you said that, expecting me to jump in there. I'm not going <laughs> to grace you with a response to such a ridiculous comment. And then, Ronnie, the rugby championship log, one win for everyone across the log, but New Zealand's still at the bottom. It's fantastic to see, actually, let's be honest. <laughs> okay. On the deep down, we, we all know we lost this weekend's game, but it is nice to see the All Blacks at the bottom of the log after two rounds of rugby. Yeah, and Los Pumas in first place. So well done, Los Pumas. Let's hope you can beat the All Blacks and, and stay afloat up top there. And then New Zealand climbing a position in the world rankings. They went up to fourth place. Right on our tails now. We're 87.78. They're 87.76. So we could be trading places with them if we don't perform in Australia. But the Aussies, on that hand, they dropped down to seventh from sixth place. Scotland now hopping them on the log. So a lot of movement there, not much from the Northern Hemisphere, but definitely from the Southern Hemisphere side. What do you mean not much from the Northern Hemisphere? They didn't play. Yeah, well, Scotland did hop over Australia. So <laughs> Scotland, that's how you climb the world rankings. Don't play and let the Aussies yeah. do it. 
Well done, Scotland. Yeah. But yeah, Ronnie, then we have some good rugby coming up. Maybe we should just quickly chat about the Springbok squad. That was announced yesterday, a couple of days earlier than anticipated. Some big points there. Day. Yeah. So yeah, some... are we gonna go? Are we gonna go through every position, or can I jump in and talk about Dion Free? <laughs> you can jump in and talk about Dion Free. Dion Free is our cover at is our third hooker. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. When was the last time he played hooker? Yeah, and that's actually a bit of a worry for player safety. I don't know how much training he's had at hooker. Um, he hasn't played there in quite a while. But also a concern considering Bongi was withdrawn as a precautionary measure, we were told. But it seems like that injury is fairly serious now. Or well, maybe they're just being overly cautious, right? Maybe that's well, the case. We can... Or for all we know, they change the squad and say, oh, no, late, late inclusion, Bongi on his way. <laughs> You know, yeah. you never know. Maybe somebody's got a trick up their sleeve. You know, it's no, chess, not checkers. You never know. You never know. I think the player most people are upset about is Ivan Roos not being included. So Roos left behind along with players such as Grant Williams and Reynard Alstad. I still don't understand why Reynard Alstad is in the Springbok squad over Marcel Kutsia, but now he's also been dropped. So I'm not too sure what the thinking is behind that. But yeah, Ronnie, what are your thoughts on Ivan not being included? Yeah, it's a little bit of a shame, I suppose, because it's not a little bit of a, it is very much a shame, right? Because he performed in the RC. We he's a very exciting player. A lot of a lot of people have been screaming his name. Uh, I mean, his grandfather sent us a message, so we've got a special place for for Ivan and his family uh, here at the Punted Hearts. Um, but look, the reality is we're taking way too many scrum offs and uh, we need to drop a couple of Lucy's to make space for all those scrum offs. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely true. And funny enough, we only dropped one scrum half, Grant Williams, but then we called Corbus Rhino Cups. We've still got this ridiculous number of nines traveling with the squad and then two fly halves. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. We've we've had enough chats about that on this podcast so far, but that's definitely something that that bugs me a little bit. Other than that, I mean, we always knew the box squad was going to be trimmed down when they traveled. It was easier to have a, a bulkier squad at home, exposing them to the environment. But other than Evan Rose being cut, I'm not too surprised with any of the other emissions. I think it was fairly, you know, it's pretty much fringe players that are not being taken with uh, Salman Murat and those guys. But yeah, I don't know. I don't have much else to say on the squad. We'll see who actually makes the 23 when we face up for Australia next week. Yeah, we'll make, we'll, we'll, closer to the time, I think we'll go into a little bit more depth. But yeah, Ivan Riz, Dion Free, Dion Free, don't get me wrong. I, I know I said a little bit concerned about him being our backup at hooker, but he is a, he is a feisty player and I, I look forward to seeing what he can do. Um, hopefully his black eyes have, have recovered uh, so he can get new ones, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, yes, that always makes me laugh. That guy comes out of a test match black and blue every single time well any match and then yeah guys please if you can help us we are looking for the fan with the most gears this guy definitely listened to last week's episode ellis ellis who the park is ellis he was singing it there at ellis park punted sticker on the chest and he was having a lacquer jam getting the crowd moving if you guys can can get in touch with him or know who he is please please send his details to us we'd love to give him a little gift from the punted family yeah, for sure. So it's it's not just about him, right? So we also get a couple of other fans that uh, that like to interact with us. Uh, people have sent us messages and, and please engage with us. So we read all of them. We we read the ones where you insult us as well. 
Um, we love those ones especially because uh, it's always funny to see the choice of words that people use when they like to engage with us. Uh, but, you know, some of the ones that send us some constructive criticism, um, we love that too, because in all honesty, uh, you know, we're two guys that like to talk about rugby and, and we, uh, you know, we've gathered a bit of a following here that uh, would like to engage with us. And uh, one of them is Christopher, I'm going to butcher your surname, I, but Christopher Thiem, it's a theme or TM, you know, he sent us a, a hell of a lacquer a message and and we read all of them really we do and uh, he made a couple of proposals and and uh, we're gonna gonna definitely you know in, in our future podcast start taking that into account a bit more so so we'll change a bit of the structure i'm sure we'll start introducing a couple of things and uh, it's directly because of you uh, christopher uh, you're a bloody legend um is he from south africa or is uh, he just a south african living abroad yeah, I think he's a South African living abroad. But as Ronnie said, shout out to you, Chris. Thanks for reaching out. We really do appreciate it. And we'll definitely be taking that on board. And then one last shout out. I think very well-deserved shout out goes to the Bok women. They absolutely smashed Spain in the opening fixture at Ellis Park. And they have another game this Friday, which you guys can catch on Supersport. I think kickoff is at 3 o'clock. So give them your support, guys. They're preparing for the World Cup. And yeah, starting to put some good performances together. We back you guys all the way. And then Ronnie, my favorite time, I get to listen to you rant on recording. I get to listen to you rant almost every day, but Tuesdays I get to record it. So let's hear what you have for us. Yeah, right. So uh, look, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to say it. I'm going to, this is my last opportunity to really say it because we've just played the All Blacks. Uh, next week we'll think we'll come up with something different, but I'm a little bit disappointed in in the overall fans of the Springboks and, and whatnot. I mean, we just mentioned some people that uh, send us some really insulting messages sometimes, but sure, everybody's a bit brave when they're sitting behind a keyboard. And, and you know, I just find that sometimes people can be quite harsh or not just harsh, but also very arrogant, right? So I think we, we approach this game as Springboks, as fans, um, as pundits, you know, everybody was convinced that we were going to win this uh, this game. And, and there's no problem with being confident. I think we just need to be careful with being uh, arrogant. Uh, and, and that's the reality. You know, I mentioned, you mentioned Joseph Dweber earlier. He had a stare down with, with the All Blacks and, and that's fine. But I think you need to earn the right to stare the All Blacks down, right? And uh, you can't be arrogant, you know, this is the All Blacks. For as long as I've been an absolute fanatic when it comes to rugby, uh, the All Blacks have been the team to beat. They've set the bar. They've been absolutely dominant. They've been they've produced some legends over the years. And, you know, they've been the one team to beat. And it doesn't matter where they are in the world rankings. They're the bloody All Blacks. So you need to treat that with a bit of respect. You can't be arrogant about it. You can't approach it and know that you're going to win. There's no problem with being confident. There's no problem with believing you can win. But when it starts, when you start knowing and convincing yourself that this is done and dusted and that you are going to win, then that becomes problematic. And uh, people can get, you know, that's that's that that I find is is a bit of a problem. You need to have respect for your opposition. As fans, as everybody, they are the bloody All Blacks. It doesn't matter where they were ranked fifth in the world. It's just a case of the rest of the teams actually coming up to where the All Blacks have been for a long time. And that's uh, and that's just decreasing that gap that's at the top. And there's a lot more competition. And rugby's, rugby's in a good place, for sure. But uh, don't let your confidence turn to arrogance. 
Yeah, I think that that's ultra transferable between you and me, Ronnie, and Superbrew. You know, I'm your biggest opponent. You should show me some respect. I think that's the way to go. No, about. okay, but Superbrew is a completely different story. If you, it, yeah, I mean, I just know I'm going to meet you there. So that's the reality of it. Listen to that, eh? <laughs> well, ridiculous laugh. As no, we always do, we can end this podcast off with a little Saturday, and I have one that I'm pretty excited for because what a performance from Lukanyo Am this weekend. Absolutely phenomenal. He deserved man of the match. His opposite number did get it, Rika Ioani. Had the box won, um, definitely would have taken it. So I have his match stats here, which might actually blow your mind a little bit. Are you ready for it, Ronald? Yeah, get me. All right. So Lukanyo Am scored one try this weekend. In this game, he made 137 meters, more than any other player with ball in hand. That included eight carries. He beat five defenders and he had four line breaks. But now this is where it gets impressive. The four line breaks is the most ever since 2019 by a Springbok. And that was only bested by Damien Willemse in a game against Canada. And then the last player to make four line breaks in the rugby championship was Samu Karevi in 2016. Six years ago, someone made as many line breaks as Lucanio Am. So Lucanio, absolute beast of a player. Keep it up. I think that was probably his best performance in a Springbok jersey. And he did it on the wing. This past weekend. Yeah. And I just for clarification, where I, I, I'm sure you don't know, but do those running meters contain that, uh, include that try that was disallowed where, he, where uh, Hendricks actually cut him off? So actually, after getting these stats, I've since watched the game again, and it cannot include those meters that he got after the disallowed try because he also beat three more defenders there. So it doesn't include, <laughs> it doesn't include that. Well, um, good job at uh, analyzing the game, for sure. I mean, Lukanya Am is a legend, which is why I think we can't waste him on the wing. He needs to be in the centers because he's he such needs to a be great everywhere. playmaker. Put him at hooker. He needs to be everywhere. Do it anyway. Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Put him at hooker. Play him at lock. Doesn't matter. Put him anywhere. But yeah, guys, thanks for joining Ronnie and I this week. It's been a lacquer one. We've got a little bit of a break this weekend before we head up for Australia next week, down under. Catch you guys then. Mm-hmm.